All right, well, today, uh, part three, I'm excited about the talk today. It's entitled, What I Do, and uh, today's going to be a unique day. I've never taught on this before, ever in the history of, of my ministry, uh, teaching career, if you would, or path, or, or whatever word you want to use, calling, um, but I'm excited to dive into this today. All right, so in this series, we're talking all things church, and specifically all things Brave uh, Church, especially too, not only just uh, the universal church, but also specifically about this particular local body called Brave. And last week, we talked about what Brave Church does, and that's online if you want to go listen to it. But what does Brave Church do? I'll take you back. Just one statement. Our mission is to equip a community of people to grow in their knowledge of God and make him known by the way they live their life. And I don't know if we fixed the there, but if we didn't, I uh, apologize for the misspell. Uh, yeah, okay, there, there it is. It's a misspell. All right, here we go. So, uh, but anyways, uh, grow in their knowledge of God. And, um, and today, we're going to answer this question, what do I do? So in other words, as we're on this mission together as a church, what is it that I'm supposed to do? That is me. So really, we're going to look at what it is that I'm supposed to do. And so for many of you, this might be new. Like, what does a, a pastor do? And uh, many of you have probably wondered, what do pastors do? I remember, I'm not going to call out anyone out here, but there is uh, several people have done this in my path, and it's not just one. So if you've done this, what I'm about to tell you, uh, don't feel bad. Uh, many people have done this. Um, so in ministry, one of the most common questions I get is, what do you do? This is a legitimate question that people ask me. And I say, well, I pastor a church or, you know, a church. Oh, that's cool. But like, and then they say, this, is, this happens all the time. But, and I know that, but what do you do? It's like, well, I pastor a church. I know, but what do you do for, like, a job? <laughs> well, and I've actually been asked while here on this property as I'm working, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, I pastor, maybe I pastor a church. I know, but what do you do for income, like a job? <laughs> like, man, you have no idea, do you? And so, uh, so I want to answer this question. Because I do think that it is important for you to know what it is that I do and, um, and what I believe that I'm supposed to do and what our church believes that we're supposed to do. And so I hope today that as you look around other churches or pastors or leaders or whatever it might be, that you'd say, hey, I think I know what they're supposed to be doing. And, um, and so, yeah, this is, this is really a day about unpacking uh, my role here in this church with you. And then at the end, I think you'll, it'll really help make sense why I'm taking the time to do this. All right, so uh, we're going to open our Bibles, Exodus chapter 18. That's where we're going to be. Uh, the good news is the Bible helps us understand what my role is supposed to be. So it's not just my opinion or our elders' opinion. I think the scripture is clear what it is that uh, my roles are. And I'm going to give five key responsibilities that I believe I'm to do as the leader of this church. And I'm going to start with uh, number two. If you notice, on your notes, there's one through five, but I'm going to start with number two, and then I'm going to end with the first one, okay? And there's a reason I'm doing that. All right, so Exodus 18, verse 17, Moses is the leader of a nation, and his father-in-law, Jethro, approaches him, and Moses is uh, wearing himself out, and he's leading this nation of million-plus, two million people, and here's what it says in 17 through 18. All right, so Jethro shows up. He sees Moses, by the way, prior to this. Leave the text on the screen just so you know why he says this is not good. What's not good? Because he says this is not good. That's where we're starting in the story. Well, this. Here's what this was. 
Moses every day would sit at this little table. Let's call it right here at this table. And people would line up with their problems. Uh, so-and-so owes money. Uh, Bill doesn't, didn't pay so-and-so. And, and Jenny called over last night and she's messing around. She's taking my crops. She stole my bananas. I don't know. And, and, and uh, this is not right. What does the law say? What does the scripture say? Here's what they said to pray. How do you pray? All of these questions for this senior leader named Moses. And every day Moses gets up goes to work, he shows up and puts judgments out there. You two do this, give her the crop, share that, go home, next please. And he just over and over and over again. And there's thousands of people in line. Moses ends his day every single day exhausted and depleted from people's complaining and problems and arguing and debating and the whole thing. He's just tired of it. Jethro shows up and says, what are you doing? This is horrible way of approaching business. This is not a good approach to leadership and certainly not good for you as the leader of this nation, okay? All right, so he says, this is not good. That's what wasn't good. Moses father-in-law exclaimed, you are going to wear yourself out. In other words, you're going to be burned out. You're going to literally face burnout if you continue to do this. And the people too, they're going to get sick of not having their needs met because they need answers. They have needs, and I don't know if you know this, we've talked about this, but you are needy people. Can you just tell somebody to the right or left of you, you are really needy? Go ahead, husbands. I'm giving you the freedom. This is your opportunity to tell her you are needy. And men, you are so needy too. You are so needy, especially when you're sick. You ever notice that, that men are just the worst when they're sick? Oh, they're so needy. All right, we're so needy. All right, so we, we are needy people, all right? And so they're getting worn out because they're not getting their fill. They're not getting their needs met. He says, this job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Verse 19, now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. All right, that's a good father-in-law. He says, may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God. Right, that was the, the, the act of the priest in this context, right? All right, so you, you should continue to represent, continue to do that part. And then it says, bringing their disputes to him. I believe one of the key things that I am to do as part of my job, we're starting with number two, remember that, right in the word pray. He clearly tells Moses, you should take the disputes to God. In other words, pray. Now, I'll take the New Testament here, and I'll also uh, tell you that throughout the New Testament, you see the encouragement for the church to pray for the body of believers. Scripture is clear, and I'm not going to unpack every verse on it. I'd have to give you too many. But there's all through the New Testament to pray for the body of Christ. I believe the first thing I am to do is to pray. You can look at Proverbs. It says, you know, where there is no vision, people perish or people cast off restraint. Here's how it works for me real practically. At the end of the day, I do not lead this church. Jesus does. He's the head of it. Amen? Amen. He is the head of the church. So my job is to pray because the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, everything flows from the top down. Ephesians 5.23 says... For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. I am not the head of this church. The day I'm the head of this church is the day all of you should run for your life, and so should I. Amen. He is the head of the church. He leads the church. My responsibility is to go to the Father as the leader of the church and say, what are you commanding us to do? It's to pray. 
And I could go on and on and on about praying for you. Paul writes all through the New Testament, I'm praying for you constantly. Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. Even more so, pray at all times. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the body of believers. My sole responsibility, my first, I believe wholeheartedly, I shouldn't say first, but one of the five is definitely to pray. And in prayer, it's not just saying things, it's really more listening. God, where are you leading? Where are you guiding? What are you willing to teach? But it is to pray. All right. I believe that wholeheartedly. The third thing that I believe I should do is feed. Here's what Jethro tells feed. Yeah, it's not feed you food. Hold on, be careful, because like, you're like, oh, I'm lining up at your house. Here we go. What's for dinner tonight? Okay, feed. I put the word feed in. You could write the word teach next to it if you want to, but you're all sheep, so I'm feeding you. Okay, here we go. All right, so verse 20 says, notice what Jethro tells Moses. Ready? So I want you to pray for them. Bring their request to God. All right? I want you to pray for them. That's supported by New Testament as well. Okay? But teach them, he says in verse 20, God's decrees, and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. He says, Moses, you're to not only pray for them, you're to teach them. My primary function here outside of prayer goes into teaching you. That is absolutely 100% Part of my central responsibility in this church is to teach and to show how to conduct your life. Further on, it says in Acts 6, we'll go to New Testament. So I'll show you that this is Old and New Testament. So it's supported by the entirety of Scripture, not just Old Testament. Here's what it says in Acts 6. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Look, see, needy people aren't getting their needs met. Here it is, still in the New Testament. Thousands of years later and people still complaining they're not getting their needs met. So the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called the meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles, the leaders of the church, should spend our time teaching the word of God, not listening to all your complaining. I told you I was excited about this message today. Man. I'm not here to meet all your needs. In other words, my primary responsibility must be to teach God's word to you. And then they say, spend our time teaching. Spend our time teaching, right? Not running a food program. And so, brothers, and select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom. It says, we will give them this responsibility. And then we apostles, I love this, Here's New Testament, can spend our time in two things, prayer and teaching the word of God. So what do I do? How do I, how does this work for me? I'll tell you. All right, give my days of the week. This is, I, I do my best to do this. It's not always perfect, but this is my best. Wednesdays and Thursdays, two full days are spent in prayer and preparing for this day right here. Every six days, the cycle continues. And, uh, and so I teach or I prepare sermons from Wednesday all day until Thursday day. That is my full day. Then I get Friday, half day, typically all on this. So if you add up that, somewhere in the realm of 20 to 25 hours is spent preparing for this 40-minute so talk. Now just think about how many jobs out there who have to spend uh, uh, their weeks preparing for 40-minute sessions in front of uh, hundreds of people, right, or people listening in who are judging every single word you say, 
whether they agree or disagree, and will walk out and leave or not come back or come back based on everything you say. Some of you spend weeks and months in your uh, respected fields preparing for a 40-minute delivery in front of all of your bosses, right? Imagine doing that every six days. I'm not saying woe is me. I'm just letting you know that what, what I do. So that's what I do. And if you don't think it's a little bit difficult to, A, hear God, unless some of you have his cell phone number, and you're like, no, I call him, he talks to me, which is really easy. I don't know about you, but it takes a long time. It takes, like, take, takes a long time for me to sift through everything that I think he's saying or teaching. Not only that, then to make sure that it's taught accurately to the best of my ability and to study it in depth that I possibly can and to take all that information and somehow give it back to you in a way that you're like, well, that makes sense. Because I don't know about you, but I've sat in church before and I heard what the guy said. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. That makes no sense to me. So it's a whole process. That's what essentially I spend uh, half of my week doing. There you go. Okay. I didn't think it'd be revolutionary, but I just thought, hey, now you know what I do. That's just part of what I do. So pray. All right. Here's the fourth thing you can write down. You got pray, feed, and lead. All right. We're going to break this down in two respected ways, but he says to lead. All right. Moses obviously is the leader of the nation. So leadership makes sense. But there's two things that Jethro said to do. The first one was lead by raising leaders. Did you notice that? You're going to have to select some other men, Moses. You need some help. You can't do this alone. You're going to wear yourself out, and you're going to wear others out too. So you need some leaders around you to help carry this work out. All right, this is supported in verse 17 to 21. Look what it says in verse 21. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders. So Moses' responsibility was appoint leaders, raise leaders up over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. So part of my responsibility is to raise leaders, to teach and build up new leaders, to help carry out the work of Christ. That is part of the fundamental job responsibility, I believe, as a leader of a church or a body of Christ. All right? Number two, lead by example. I'm going to take that from the New Testament, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. So we know pastors are often uh, referred to as shepherds. Okay, just kind of symbolic in agricultural society. That would have made sense. Please don't ever call me shepherd. Um, yeah, but, but be shepherds of God's flock. And I love this. This is near and dear to my heart. That is under your care. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but you're eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you. So you've been entrusted to my care from God. And that just scares me. There was the other day I was reading the text about how I'm going to be accountable for the work of this ministry. And I could, I'm telling you, I screamed. and I woke up, my youngest was taking a nap. I was sitting on my couch and I started to realize the weight that I carry for you, and then I'm going to have to answer to the ministry the things that I teach you. And literally, I scream. And I'm not, I don't even know, I can't even tell you what I said. I feel like it could be borderline cussing, so I don't want to say it. <laughs> but God heard the cuss word, so it was irrelevant. What came out of my mouth wasn't a cuss word, but it was close. You ever been there? Okay, I, that's where I was. When you find out that you're going to be accountable for teaching God's word and for all the people you teach and the ministry, and I have to answer to him one day, Cussing might come out of your mouth too. And yeah, it was just like, ha! Ah! That's, that's kind of what it sounded like. Oh, 
He says, but be examples to the flock. Now, just imagine being asked by God to be the example to all the people you teach. I'm telling you, it makes me want to exit stage left now, like leave. I don't want to be your example. No, I, I want somebody else. You set the example. It would be a lot easier to just follow. Yeah, this is the days that I don't feel good. <laughs> be the example. Part of my job, 100%, is to be the example of the flock. That's a calling that God has put on my life to do. Now, we're called, of course, to be the example of, of Christ to the world. You are not off the hook to be representations to the world, the body of Christ. So you're not off the hook. But 100%, it is a part of my responsibility to lead by example. And so in this church, I have never been and will never be afraid to pick up something, to carry out trash, to put out signs, to put out curtains. In fact, the Setup Teardown team, when my staff asked me, don't show up on something, we would rather you be in prayer than being here setting up and tearing down. And every single Sunday, I face the battle of not getting here and setting up and tearing down because I want to lead by example. And I am normally one of the last to leave, and that's intentionally. I am not bragging on myself. I'm letting you know why I do what I do because I'm called by God to lead by example. And this is something I see I'm passionate about. And I want to do the best I possibly can to please the Father in heaven, not please you. But I believe that senior leaders should lead by example in the way we conduct our lives. Amen. All right, number five. Or actually, number four. Number five. You get the point. Love. All right, so we got pray, feed, lead, love. Keep watch, or keep watch, he says, over your flocks and all the flock. And... Uh, he says, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Oh, no. So that reminds me that he purchased you with his own blood, and I'm to watch over you. <laughs> this is too hard. So I was in my journal time recently, and I was talking to the Lord, and the Lord, I felt, say to me, and I have no scriptural reference to back this up. Maybe this one could be used, but this is just what I, I think the Lord said to me. And here's what he said. I was talking about the church and just, you know, conversation with the Father. And he says uh, back to me, he says, how foolish of a man to desire a large flock. And I was like, well, you know, I want to see the church grow and expand. And he's like, yeah, but Ricky how foolish you are to try to desire a large flock. Don't you know it's only your, and here's what, he, what I wrote that I feel like he spoke to me. And he said, don't you know it's harder to spot a diseased animal in a larger flock? And then I thought, okay, just give me a small little flock, Lord, like 10 of us. Because <laughs> that just seems so much easier to manage. And all of a sudden, I realized something. I want to tell you this. This is from my heart. This is true. And this is for me, probably more than it is for you. But maybe it's for you. I believe the body of Christ should grow. And I want to see the body of Christ grow. And I want to see the church grow and expand, the kingdom expand. Of course I do. But I just want to remind you of something. I don't think God really cares about the size of the flock as much as he cares about the health of the flock. You can have a large flock and not be healthy. And the way it's said in church world sometimes is, well, healthy things grow. Yeah, but so do weeds. So I'm not so sure that everything is grown is healthy. 
And, and I believe wholeheartedly Jesus cares way more about the health of the flock that I lead than he does the size of the flock that I lead. Let me tell you something. This church will never be rewarded for its size. It will be held accountable for its health. So let's never brag about the size of our congregation, but let's boast only in the Lord for the work that he does in the individuals in thereof. And let's pray for one another that each would grow and flourish in the knowledge of God. Amen? We have too much bragging about large churches, don't we? In fact, too many people brag about the size of their church. Please don't ever brag about the size of our church. Please. It is not about the size of a congregation. All right, amen. All right, let's move on. It says in 1 Peter 5, 2, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. The word care is the Greek word. It means to look after. I'm to look after you. And how in the world can I do that for all of you? I cannot do that for all of you, which is why we train up leaders. Which is why Moses says, I can't do that after every single person. You've got to have extra support to help look over to you, which, by the way, is why we have community group leaders. They are to help to look over you and your care. And we have a care ministry and team and different people throughout and people watching our kids. Why? All of that works together to care for one another. It is not the sole responsibility of me to look after the care of each and every single one of you, but to help orchestrate all those leaders alongside of me to help oversee you. And then we have elders in our church to help do the same. And then I have people also help and look over me, which also then ultimately help look over you. Does that make sense? It's to love you is how I word it. And I will do my best to continue to love you to the best of my ability, even if that means telling you things you don't want to hear, because part of love is discipline. And I think that's a whole other conversation we will have soon in the coming weeks, I'm sure, that church discipline has to return back to the house of God. I'm going to discipline all of you. I can't wait. I'll put you all in time out. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Joking. But 1 Corinthians 5 through 7 talks about church discipline. Amen. See, you didn't amen that one. I love that. That's what, I, that's what I like to tell you the truth. Church discipline is a part of the church. But in the American church, we, we don't want to be disciplined. We want to be told how good we are all the time. Can you imagine what would happen, what kind of children you'd have if you never disciplined them? Some of you know. You're like, yeah, I know. I actually know what that's like. So discipline doesn't mean that, you know, in, in, in plenty, there have been plenty of abusive leaders and teachers. I am not talking about abuse. There is verbal, emotional, physical. There's all kinds of weird abuse happening amongst uh, leaders and churches that is wrong and 100% evil, etc. I'm not talking about uh, disciplining you in an unhealthy way. Trust me, I have to report to God on how I discipline and how I love and correct and teach. So I, that scares me way more than you will ever scare me. But um, I'm, I'm saying it out of love, amen? Like out of love, out of, out of correction, and that you would restore your, your love for God, and that you'd run from sin, and these types of things. I hope you hear my heart in this. But part of that is to love you. And so that's why I'm not afraid to tell you what you may not want to hear, but what you need to hear. Because I love you. So let me just say, I do. I, I genuinely love you. And I was having a conversation earlier today, this morning, just with somebody it was all out of love. I just love them. And so um, that's something that's not well cool as me. It's, I believe, something God put inside of me for you. And so I love you. I told somebody else this past weekend, I was talking in a private conversation. I looked at the guy and I said, I love you. Over and over again, I love you. And then I, then I drive home sometimes. I'm like, I can't believe I told him I love him. I wonder if it's like, this is so weird. Isn't it? All right. Here's the last one. Okay, perfect. Um, 
Here's the first one, and I put this one first because I think this is my first responsibility, and I support that by Scripture. So go back to number one, be a good husband and father. All right, so I'm going to read a lot of verses here, but I'm going to get Old Testament and New Testament. So I'm going to stay with Exodus 18, but I'm going to go back up to the top, verse 1 through 6. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. It says, earlier Moses had sent his wife Zipporah and his two sons back to Jethro, and he had taken them in. Did you catch that? Moses goes on to pursue the work of God, but sends his wife back to the house. Now, most likely, he sends his wife and two sons away from the danger of which they were going to be facing and encountering, probably in a way of protecting his wife and the two sons. But here's what I'm telling you. Oftentimes, ministers of the gospel, such as Moses, are removed from their families for periods of times. And the amount of work that goes into the work of the ministry oftentimes puts strain on their marriage and the relationships of them and their children. Many of you have heard it said before that if you end up a preacher's child, be careful because of all of these different things. And a lot of times, I'm telling you, and divorce rate among pastors is, I don't know the stat, but I can tell you, I know it's high. The average length of a senior pastor or church planner, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is somewhere underneath the realm of two years. I know as a youth pastor, it's like under a year. Here's the point. When you join full-time ministry, you don't last long. And, and, you're, and you're blessed if your marriage makes it. I mean, how many pastors and seniors and leaders have you seen throughout your lifetime going through all different kinds of stuff in their marriages? I would propose to you a lot of it has to do with simply because of this. Ministry demands a ton out of you. And it puts a lot of strain on the marriage. And so Jethro, I love this, hands, brings back his daughter. I love this. It says, verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. And he's like, hey, Moses, you forgot a couple of people. Your wife and children. And they arrived while Moses and all the people were camped near the mountain of God. And Jethro had sent this message to Moses saying in advance, just so you know, Moses, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, I'm coming to see you. And I'm bringing your family with you. Don't leave them behind on the journey. You're doing the work of God. That is good. But don't neglect your family. Heard loud and clear. This is further supported by Paul in his letter to Timothy, New Testament. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires, which I never did, by the way, I'm going to talk to Jesus when I get there and be like, I never asked. Anyways, if someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. And I just decided to go ahead and complete the whole list for you so you could just have the luxury of seeing what it is I'm supposed to do. Enjoy having guests in his home, occasionally. I, I, I threw in occasionally, okay. And he must be able to teach, still working on it. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent he must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. Amen, amen, amen. I threw that in too. He must manage his own family well. Having children who respect and obey him. And I'm like, oh, I'm working on it, Lord. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? So a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall 
Also, people outside the church must speak well of him. (laughs) Okay, I'm moving on. So that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. And I wrote this in my notes. You don't see it. It says, sign me up. Awesome. (laughs) I'm just telling you, one of the greatest responsibilities I have as the leader of this church is to make sure that I'm a good husband and father is my first priority. And they will always be first right underneath Jesus. It is Jesus and it is my wife, it is my children, and then it is this ministry. You will never have that place. The day my marriage falls apart is the day this church falls apart. I want you to know that. And I know you would say amen. I love how Jethro ends his advice to Moses, verse 22. He says they should always be available to solve people's commons. He's talking about these leaders, don't forget. They should solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let these leaders decide the small matters. Maybe you need help. He says, they will help you carry the load. Make the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, I love that. The follow-along goes back to, the, to Jethro or to Moses. Jethro does to Moses, and he says, Moses, go back and pray about this. I love that. I love that. He says, then you'll be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. In other words, they'll have their needs met. I love this, if God commands you to do so. I love how this gives a great picture of the body of Christ. Jethro says, I got some advice to give you. And he gives them all of the great advice, and then he finishes off, but go pray about it. Let me just add in one other thing as part of my job description. I'm here to ultimately please the Father, not you. And so that means that you can give me all the advice you want. But scripture shows this. Your best way to present your advice to me is by saying, but you go pray about it. And if that's not what the Lord wants to do here, then don't do it. In other words, when you go to other churches and to senior leaders, don't impose your things on them. Here's what we should be doing. This is what you should be doing. Jethro didn't do that. He said, hey, I got some advice. Now go be with the Lord about that. There it is. I love that. Because it shows the heart of Jethro for Moses. Jethro wasn't trying to chump or take Moses' ministry, command him what to do. Jethro was like, Moses, I love you, and I love my children. These are my grandchildren. This is my daughter, and I want you to be healthy. I want this nation to be healthy. Here's my advice. Now go and do the most important thing you can do, Moses. Go pray about it. Talk to the Lord and let him tell you. And if he tells you to do what I said, then do it. But notice, if he doesn't tell you to do what I said, don't. I think Jethro is implying to Moses. Amen. I'm not mad, and there's no one here, by the way, that I'm saying doing this. This is not an attack, excuse me, in, in any way. I just want to present to you what it is that my job is to do. All right, almost done here. So here's, uh, he wanted Moses to confirm in prayer. In other words, do it because I told, don't do it because I told you by my advice. And this will help you endure the calling, and the people will be served more effectively if you do this. If you do what? Take my advice? No, he says, and that's not what's going to help the church. What's going to help the church is if you go get away in your closet and you talk with the Lord. Which is why I love our staff and our team and so many of you who have said, we don't want you here on Sunday morning, seven tear down. We want you back there praying. We need you to go pray and talk to Jesus more and more and more, all up until the point that you get to deliver the message because that's so important that you hear what he wants to tell us. 
Does that make sense? And I, and I love that. And then we can serve more effectively as the body of Christ. And I love that. So many of you have pushed me to do that. So anyways, I want to end with this. And this is the verse that makes me pause when I think about my job as leader of this church. And this is why I shared with you earlier. And this is just kind of a little one-off verse that I really wanted to share with you. If you want to know what, what makes me do my job to the best of my ability that I possibly can, it's this verse from James 3.1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Not many of you. Oh, James, I mean... I think as the brother of Jesus, that would make a lot of sense. You know, I shared a bunk bed with Jesus, and he taught all the time, and I realized something. There's not a lot of people who should be teaching this thing. Uh, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Be careful when you think you want to lead something. Be careful when you aspire to be a leader because the back half of James's letter is just as important as the first half of that letter. It's good to aspire. That's fine. You can desire this thing. But just don't forget what comes with it. And look at the next line. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. So I looked at the word strictly. And it's the Greek word megas. So you get the word mega from. It means mass or weight or greatly, if you would. A lot more weight is going to be put on you for you who desire to teach. To which I say, fan freaking tastic. Awesome. <laughs> now, trust me, I am not upset about the job that the God has given me. I'm blessed for it. I can't believe I'm, that he would do and look down on heaven someone like me and ask me. And so many of you who rise and lead different things and I'm just letting you know and we take leadership responsibilities here, very important. If you're going to lead something ever for the ministry, the work of God, would you hold on to James 3.1? Please? Please? Would you let that be one of the greatest things that people who lead here I'm telling you, some of the small group leaders that we have, the reason why they've been elected to lead small groups in different capacities or different ways is one of the favorite things that I hear that uh, people say in this church when I know they're ready, and it's their heart that gets exposed. So don't come try to tell us as leadership that, oh, like repeat the line, and you think all of a sudden that, no, this is like their heart. Here's they say, I'm not ready. Some of the greatest leaders will say, I'm not ready. I don't think I'm qualified for this. And I'll say, then you're like the perfect candidate because God's fear is going to remain inside of you. And, and the day that leaves you, we're all in trouble. So we're talking about leadership right now. And, and aspiring to be leaders in churches is great. But don't forget James 3.1. Much is given, much is required. And there is weight. And it's heavy. And so for, I celebrate all the people who come and lead up here and lead small groups. And I'm so thankful for them because they're willing to carry the weight to help you. And I know right now, some of the community group leaders right now are like, you didn't tell me that verse before I said yes. <laughs> gotcha. No, no. So it's like, you know, no, it's like, yeah, that, that, that makes me want to do this right. That, 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 that makes me want to do this in a healthy way. All right, so to recap five things I do, be a good father and husband or be a good husband and father. I hope that's okay with you. So my days look like this. Monday's my Sabbath, by the way. 
Monday is a Sabbath day for me, and I'm doing everything in my power to ignore you on Mondays, okay? So Monday's a Sabbath for me. It, listen, if, you would, if, you're, if you're not okay with your pastor taking off on Mondays, then ask me to commit adultery. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You wouldn't be like, hey, why don't you go get him an adultery on Monday, man? That'd be great for you, you know? Go murder and go steal too while you're at it. Go covet, you know? Go break all the commandments. Oh, don't ask me to keep nine and break one. You want me to have a Sabbath. And I want you to have a Sabbath, by the way. You should have a Sabbath too. So, all right. So Monday's a Sabbath for me. On Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, work. Obviously, uh, Saturday evenings, uh, preparing more. And then Sundays at work as well, so. But, uh, and then I have a, I'm trying to have a date night with my wife uh, twice a, a month. And so uh, we get to go out on dates. So I try to do my best there or watch TV shows together and things like that. So I do everything in my power to do all that I can. Hang out with my children on Saturdays, play soccer with them, and take them and practice with them uh, in my community. And so if you see me out there trying to be a good dad, a good husband, don't come talk to me about your stuff. Nobody ever has. But I'm just letting you know. Instead, just pray for me and keep on moving, you know. Amen. All right. Um, so... Uh, closing. And this is why I'm landing. Amen. Right on time. This is where I wanted to be. So the title of the message was What I Do. And this is how I wanted to land it. And that was very intentional. I want you to really listen in with your hearts. And if you're watching online, like, listen in to this piece because this is probably the most important piece that I've come to tell you. Not just unfold my job description. But this is the part that I want you to hear. Okay? This is really important. The title of the message is, is What I Do. And I want you to hear my heart in this because this really matters to you. This is what I do. This is not who I am. It's what I do. It's not who I am. So who am I? I'm no different than you. I am a sinner. I'm saved by the same grace you're saved by. And every day it goes by, I question why God would look down and choose someone like me. This is what I do. It's not who I am. I sit here every Sunday with you and all I can think about is how great God has been to me. He's never abandoned me. He's never left me. He doesn't forsake me. And he died for me, even while I was still a sinner. Who am I? I'm a child of God just like you. I'm just a man. Titles don't run a lot of leverage here. With you, be a day that I am on my face too on the ground kneeling confessing Christ as king and I don't think I'll have a certain honor it'll be the same no one bows to me here this is about a king that we come to serve and we all have a part in this church think about who I am, I couldn't help but to encourage some of you today, and I wrote this down, just to share this gospel message that maybe you've never heard before. This gospel message that we sang about a moment ago, this loving Father 
God comes down and he puts himself on a cross so that we could come to know him. And for many years of my life, I sat in a seat, like many of you today, and some of you maybe, and I had no clue who God was. And when I started to realize that it wasn't about what I did for him that made him love me, it was something that was already shown and revealed. It was something that was already accomplished. And that I'm saved only by grace that I could never earn it. And he loves me so much that he never asks a thing from me but to trust him. Like that's the one thing. Just trust me. Trust what I did. Put your confidence in me. Believe in me. The Greek word believe is not just to believe that I exist. It means to put your confidence in like a loving parent who looks at their child and says, just trust me. I know what I'm talking about. Trust me. And when I finally made the decision to trust him, God began to reveal more and more and more and more of himself to me. And so I just want you to know, this is what I do. It's not who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace who just happened to be a person who by the grace of God said yes to God and allows God to the best of my ability to do whatever he wants to do through me. I'm no different than you. And my hope for you today, wherever you are, is that you would make the decision to give God your life and to place your trust in his hands. Like, God, I trust you you know more than I know. I trust that. And you died for me. And you gave your life for me. And, I, and I'll trust you that, that if I give my life to you, you in turn will do always what's best for me with, with me in mind and you in mind. And you'll work all these things for the good. And I trust you. And I made a decision about 15 years ago to surrender my life fully to Jesus. Since then, my life has been surrendered to him. I just want you to know, I'm not perfect. I'm just a man. Funny story. One of my great friends and attends this church family, and uh, he was going to come over to this, my house for dinner, and he knows who it is, and I won't mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but it was really funny. Damon Ferrara. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I love Damon. And uh, he's coming to my house for dinner and never been to a pastor's house for dinner. And he tells his wife, we find out coming over. He's like, we're going to a pastor's house. What do we do? He was all nervous. And he sits down at the end of the table and I'm staring at him. And I'm like intentionally digging into like, you read the Bible, you know, (laughs) like just trying to make it as uncomfortable as possible. And you could see it. If you know Damon, man, he's like so sweaty and he's just nervous. And he's like, dude, just chill, man. I'm a normal guy, bro. Like, chill. But I told Chris that when he showed up, I was like, should I, should I answer the door like in a suit? Be like, take off your shoes before you enter this house. <laughs> and then I'm like, how do I make this as awkward as possible? Because Carissa had told me he's so nervous about coming to a pastor's house. Just so you know, he's like really nervous about it. So make sure you're chill and relax. And I had all these awesome thoughts going through my brain about what I could do. But I tried to just like use the word dude intentionally and just try to like relax, man. Like I'm normal. I'm just a normal guy. And I say that to some of you because honestly, some of you, you honestly uh, have a hard time seeing pastors as that. I just want you to know, I'm just a normal person like you. I'm a broken, 
sinner who's saved by God's grace, redeemed by his blood. It wasn't always a day in my life where I knew the things that I know now. Most of my life, 27 years of my life, I didn't know what I know today. And that's how much God loves me. And I'll tell you, he loves you the same. Let me pray for you. Jesus, invite the prayer team forward. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Thank you that you give me this opportunity every Sunday. And I thank you in front of this church family and those watching online. They're part of our, our church here, this body, this local body. Thank you, God, for entrusting them to my care. But I know, and I say it publicly, that I am a shepherd. I am not the good shepherd. That's you. You love them way more than I do. And your love never fails. And you never forsake. And you're always there. And you put yourself on a cross and you pay the price for their salvation. So Jesus, we come here and we gather as church families and community groups in the week, but none of that's to make my name famous. Don't you make my name famous. Jesus, we come to make you know. You get the glory. It's not to create followers for this church or followers for me. It's to create followers of you. To make disciples is what we're commissioned to do. It will be about you, always here. We pray that it will be. and never allow us to go to the right or left, but to say straight that it's always about you, your king. So Father, I pray for those in this room, those watching around, who don't know you. Father, would you reach down to them like you reached down to me and so many of us? Would you reveal yourself to them? Would you tear down walls that keeps them from coming to know you? Would you have your way in this place? Would you accomplish your will in this church, in this body, and in these lives? Father, I'm so grateful for your work in this church. And today, as we conclude out, we have the prayer team down front. We always like to do this, just to give you a minute to come and receive prayer. On the bottom of your notes, there's a section that says, what's my next step? What the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? Take time now, fill that out. If God is speaking something to you, you know you need to, you know, uh, just write it down, take it with you. This is the time to do that. If you need prayer, move now. Get out of your seat, come down front, come. Just have somebody pray with you. Make a decision to receive Christ as your Savior. We're here for you. Something said within the message and you need to let go of past church pain or something there that you need to let go of or just, just come and receive prayer, whatever it may be. If you're looking for a job, something practical, health things, we're here to pray with you and stay with you. You can come now and we'll be happy to pray with you. We'll give you a few minutes to let the Holy Spirit minister to your hearts and then my wife will come up and close us out. This is some few announcements.